0: Welcome back to a special collaborative series that is running as a joint project between the SA Pioneering podcast and the Some Sort of Miracle podcast. In this series, we will be working through a new free online training platform that the Salvation Army's pioneering team have put together. At our roots, we are a missional movement formed in and around the missional DNA. It is imperative that as a movement in today's world, we are believers engaged with the edges and margins of society. Our belief is that whilst some are pioneers, all are called to pioneering. By pioneering, we mean to break new ground, reach new people in new ways. This course has been especially designed to introduce you to this missional DNA, connect you to others on the journey of pioneering, and support you as
1: you explore God's calling on your life. If you'd like to join us on this journey, we'd love to invite you to sign up to the training course at pioneerbitesize.com. My name is Ed and I'm joined on today's episode by John. Hello. By Sam. Hello. By Andrew. Hi. By Claire. Hiya. And by Luke. Hello. And we've got two new voices on today's episode that haven't been on one of these uh, special collaborative episodes yet. So uh, I'd just like you to introduce yourselves. We'll start with Andrew.
2: Hi, I'm Andrew, married to Andrea, live in Yorkshire, have done for the last 30 years, and um
1: I am involved in pioneering within the Salvation Army. Brilliant. Thank you, Andrew. And Claire.
3: Hi, yeah, I'm Claire and I live in West Yorkshire in Bradford and I run the Salvation Army Church in Wibsey in Bradford.
1: Excellent. We're really excited to have Claire and Andrew with us. I'm sure they've got lots of wisdom to share on this podcast. Uh, So we're going to jump into today's episode, which uh, is the episode looking at APEST, which is the fourth part of the missional DNA. Um, So APEST is God's fivefold gift to the church, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd and teacher. Leading us through the session's videos today, we have Matt Butler, Matt Butler is a pioneer, church leader, husband, father, and for the last three years, he's been involved in learning about and teaching on Apest and 5Q. So we're gonna jump straight into video one, which introduces Apest.
4: I'll fight. While women weep as they do now, I'll fight, declared William Booth in his famous rallying sermon. And from its earliest days, the Salvation Army has proclaimed that we are all in this war. No one was exempt. We literally were and are all in this together. Our founders and earliest pioneers were quickly, upon conversion, put to work for the kingdom. There's little doubt that the exponential growth in these formative years of our history was that we believed in the ministry of all the believers. In doing so, those believers were released and sent to go and get on with what God has laid on their hearts. This powerful and beautiful demonstration of the body of Christ mobilised, meant that everyone had an opportunity to serve and utilise the gifts which God had bestowed upon them.
0: I just want to repeat something that Matt said at the end of that video. The exponential growth in those formative years of the Salvation Army's history was down to the belief in the ministry of all believers. The body of Christ mobilised meant that everyone had an opportunity to serve and utilise the gifts which God had bestowed upon them. So, would you, what would you say was your? Um, well, what is your dominant gift in Apes? Do we know our dominant gifts?
2: I think there's a couple of interesting things there, John. Actually, not only in regard to the dominant gifts that what we have, but actually that founding movement started with everyone involved and therefore that's an interesting point in itself Um, for myself um, for anyone that knows me they won't be shocked about what I'm going to say is my dominant gift Um, very much sit in the apostolic the prophetic Um, historically that's probably where I've been at although interestingly it's changed quite a bit in recent years and sits very much now with the apostolic and the shepherds and that's probably linked to something that I'm doing work wise as well
1: so How would you uh, define what the apostolic prophetic looks like, Andrew, just for those that may not have heard some of these terms before?
2: I think it's a person that's always out there on the edge, pushing the boundaries of what we do as church. It's the person that's probably described in many organisations as the irritants. They are people who are not necessarily understood always. Mm. They do have a real heart for the outside of the walls. Hmm. um would be my my spin on it spins the wrong word in today's world isn't it guys i mean let's be honest <laughs> we have enough spin to don't need it in the church as well so yeah that would be where i'd probably sit at
1: okay yeah whenever we talk about apest i think about those great images that come alongside and on the uh forgotten website when they describe apest i know talking about images on a podcast is quite tricky but um they have got these amazing little stick man figures for each of the different um things on apest i'm just going to share screen for those on the call but i'm going to make sure this is in um all our social media stuff as well um when we talk about apest there's these little figures that they've created and for the a they've got a little stick man running in a um in a real kind of purposeful direction and it's got arrows coming out um as he goes forward but he's also got this kind of chain tethering him back to the center as well and i think that's a really really cool way of looking at the apostle because they are the people that go out push boundaries are always moving always pushing the church into new directions but there is this connection back as well as they feed back what they learn from the edges to the center as well I think that's a, a really important piece on the um apostle so who else have we got what other giftings have we got in the room
3: so for me I think it would be shepherd Uh, Which is nurturing and protecting, thinking about people perhaps within the church and the community around, and journeying with people and kind of guiding them on that journey towards Jesus. Mm. So I think, and I think part of that is in terms of for my role and my calling as a Salvation Army officer, it was always, I think for me, it was about that and about journeying with people, being that pastoral support
5: hmm.
3: and kind of helping to build relationships as well, try, or trying to build relationships amongst people and helping them on their discipleship journey.
5: Um, the last time that I did a um, APAS test was probably about three years ago and that came back as being um, um, an apostle. Um, which I didn't understand then, and I absolutely do not understand now. <laughs> um, because looking at what the definition is, I can't see any of that in me whatsoever. So clearly, something, cl- clearly, I've done something wrong there. Um, <laughs> uh, looking at the definitions, um, I, I think, I think if I was to, obviously, I will do this test again. Um, but I, looking at some of the d- definitions, Um, knowing what I'm, I'm like, um, I probably sit somewhere between evangelist and probably shepherd. Um, I absolutely love people and being with people and can quite happily, um, talk people to death, um, in a good way. Um, I I hope, um, so that's probably where I sit. Um, but yeah, maybe you might be able to provide some more insight because, I clearly don't think that I'm an apostle, so. Uh, Luke,
2: you just made me smile as I listened to that because I think that's an honest response so many people have, what they think they are, what they aren't and vice versa. But I'm also looking at your face on the screen, even though we are on a podcast, laughing to myself because I can see the, the perplexed nature of your face going, this is what I thought I was and now this is what's coming out. And it's an interesting piece, isn't it? Because actually what we think is the role isn't necessarily what the role is. And that's a piece of education piece. And, and Claire, you know, just threw in that whole piece of the pastoral care, and the heart heartbeat of the pastor and shepherd as well. Um, and I totally resonate with that. And of course, the danger is when you do tests. Anyhow, they can more so be biased. You know, let's be candid, Ed, John, others. If we did the test tonight, you know, 36 degrees up north, you know, yeah. we'd probably feel it indifferent to a different winter night, wouldn't we? We'd have sat with Sorry. cocoa or Horlicks or Iron yeah. Brew or whatever else. <laughs>
1: Sam, I wonder what your dominant gifting has been when you've done your test. Um, well, I think having done a very quick test
6: very uh, very recently, it came out as partly shepherd and partly apostle. Right, okay. And I think the shepherding thing kind of works for me, I think. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, because um, it says about nurturing and protecting, which I think... I'm quite passionate about and the line in the in the Apostle definition is about uh, they're always thinking about the future bridging barriers and establishing the church in new contexts developing leaders um and I think I'm really passionate about kind of building other people up and also trying to look how to fix things um I think because I used to be a teacher trying to encourage people to um be the best that they can and help them build a future, build bridges, build, fix problems.
1: So the, the apostle side in there, can you see some elements of like what you're doing at the moment that kind of fits into that apostolic bracket? Yeah,
6: definitely. Definitely. Uh, Cause as part of the online, online core, we trying to build communities in new places for, mm. to reach kind of people who spend their lives on the internet to, uh, Build communities in that area for people to Mm. learn more about God. So, Mm.
1: yeah, establishing church in new
6: contexts definitely.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Whenever can we talk about the apostolic role? Um, for the past four years, I've I've um, worked alongside Caroline Hewitt, who uh, did the videos for our last episode, The Missional Incarnational Impulse, and she is just an out-and-out out apostle. And for a little while, I've been thinking, maybe I need to be a bit more apostle. Maybe I need to try and sidle into that category. But um, yeah, I think the more I, I try, the more I realize, it, I, sure, I've got a lot to learn from Caroline. I've got a lot to learn in that regard, but it doesn't necessarily fit exactly who I am as well. Um, and although I'm passionate about the missional incarnational impulse and want to try and grow in that, uh, i got to understand that God's gifted me in a certain way as well. And so like the test I do kind of come up with the um, prophetic teaching thing, which I think fits into some of what I've done with the podcast or where where this has gone um but yeah I I have had that sense of oh okay but it, that one is really cool isn't it <laughs> and looking at the other ones um but yeah it's interesting when your test doesn't quite match up with where you want to be or where you uh yeah I think sometimes we can do ourselves a disservice when we look at, at the, the gifts I guess that God has, has given us as well because we're looking at how great everyone else is <laughs>
0: Do mind like a lot of people's has changed quite over the last sort of three years from when I when I first did one. Uh, so I did one as part of our kind of assessment to be pioneer leaders. Um and I think at the time I was a teacher shepherd, Andrew no more. Um yeah, teacher shepherd. Um and I did it a couple of times because our kind of regional division um, in the southeast of England we started running with apes quite a lot we did another test over a weekend and it came back different um and it's come and i did one again just before the pandemic when we were doing a that training course me and ed with a few others and I mean it changed again and i think like well now i'm a, an evangelist teacher um so et phone home uh and her but i think like I think it changes with your situation. Uh, we heard from Andrew, like I think when you're in a season, I think like your 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 whole mood, like your what the gifts God's using you in, like your the lens you're working through changes. Um so like the when I when I got an evangelist, I was a little bit shocked, a little bit surprised. I never saw because you imagine sort of like your Billy Graham or that kind of person when I hear evangelist. Um so when I you know when it came back evangelist, I was like, I don't quite get this, but I understand it because of the kind of online stuff we were trying to do as well as the in-person stuff in Favisham, it kind of made sense. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it just, it's interesting how it it changes. I think God just uses in, you know, the season you're in, um, and uses the different lenses each time, um, which is,
2: which is great. Mm. I mean, it'd be pretty boring, John, wouldn't it, if it was always going to be the same, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talk about Christian faith being exciting and, um, Uh, liberating and uh, just it is fun isn't it yeah being a Christian and um we shouldn't apologize for that but also context key isn't it because you know what I find myself doing today is not what I find myself doing tomorrow we got to I think I always have to remind myself that no matter what God has gifted us with it's not about us it's all about him so it's a really important piece when we start to even label ourselves and one of the dangers I think Ed is that we label ourselves something. God Mm. may well want to tell us something totally different and change us. And um, it's interesting to use the metaphor, the picture of Caroline Hewitt. you know, last time, some would say similar stuff of myself. But context and situations change, and you've Mm. just got to be malleable, I think, allow God, the Holy Spirit to change you and shape you. So, again, I'm smiling because as Luke was sort of trying to work through in his own head, well, what the heck am I, you know? I think that's one of the great things of God, is we, we just, if you like, sounds twee, doesn't it? It sounds really twee, but he's here to shape us, mm. and he'll shape us for whatever he wants. And if he decides to change that overnight, well, he can do it, can't he? Because that's how God works. Unless I've got it wrong after all these years. <laughs>
4: Evangeline Booth was the seventh of eight children born to General William Booth and his wife, Catherine. Evangeline was so strong that she was often sent for whenever there was opposition to the Salvation Army or whether work was really threatened. Her father, General Booth, was often quoted by saying, Send Eva! During the aftermath of the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, Evangeline led a mass open air meeting in New York's Union Square where she raised more than $12,000 to support the relief work. And she also committed hundreds of volunteers to support the first responders and the survivors in the wake of that earthquake. In 1907, Evangeline sent 250 Salvation Army volunteers to France's front lines during the First World War to provide comfort and aid to the soldiers fighting there. The volunteers started frying pastry dough in the soldiers' helmets and then started distributing donuts, hence, the famous donut lasses were born. In 1934, Evangeline was elected general by the High Council, becoming the first woman to lead the international organization. Under her leadership, the Salvation Army extended and expanded its services, establishing hospitals for unwed mothers, soup kitchens, emergency shelters, and homes for adults. Evangeline understood and empowered those new converts to set about the work of the kingdom. This is both a vital component of movements, but it's also something which is deeply rooted in scripture and in our theology.
1: So it's interesting there, Matt, talking about how um, this, this gifting that we have, this... Um, Ministry of the whole body of Christ, um, being scriptural um, and kind of central to our theology. There's actually some really good uh, scripture that supports all this. That Claire's just going to read a passage from um, in Ephesians now.
3: Ephesians four uh, verses seven to eight and eleven to twelve say this, and he has generously given each one of us supernatural grace according to the size of the gifts of Christ. This is why he says he ascends into the heavenly heights, taking his many captured ones with him and gifts were given to men. And he has appointed some with grace to be apostles and some with grace to be prophets and some with grace to be evangelists and some with grace to be pastors and some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ.
1: Thanks, Claire. So I wonder, uh, how would it help you in not just knowing your own APEST profile, but also the APEST profile of all your team?
3: As a church leader, one of my challenges, perhaps, is in trying to get kind of investment and engagement from within the church Mm. and um, recognising that it's not just me, perhaps, or the leadership team, which is there to drive forward the church, to do the ministry of the church. And I think um, particularly in perhaps my current context, in terms of knowing the gifts and knowing the skills that people have would be really Really useful in terms of rather than because I think so often in the Salvation Army we thought in this context in every context we need to have X Y and Z program or do this this and this regardless perhaps of who is actually part of the church and what their passions are where they are with the dominant callings within Apesst. So I think if we recognise and believe that God has uh, put those people in a community church community together. Then, if we can fully understand what passions and gifts and callings we have within that, that should shape shape the church, rather than having this model of church which we then try and find people to fill.
0: I think that's where, like my context, where we've gone in with the understanding of APEs before has been quite helpful. So, like when we've sort of tried to grow our team, we've had APEs as a DNA as part of that. Um, so we, so when we kind of when we first went into FAVISH and we had a couple with us that we, we knew their, their gift set from doing APES, which was really helpful. And it was like, okay, so they fill the gaps that Beth and myself don't have. And, um, and it's like that with like everything we do. So with volunteers that come in, you're like, Oh, you know, um, you can sort of, you start to see that kind of thing. And it really helps with that kind of building of team, doesn't it? And that kind of um, yeah. Sort of growing those around you as well as them understanding their own journeys as well, which has been really helpful as well.
1: Hmm. I think in some ways it it points out your blind spots uh, having kind of a spread of this across your team I know that uh, where we are at at Copper Beach when something happens and you're looking at the knee-jerk reactions of everyone like, uh, Caroline's knee-jerk, knee-jerk reaction as an apostle will always be, oh, let's go out to the community, let's go out. <laughs> uh, whereas um, we got some other people in our church who are shepherds and their knee-jerk reaction is, oh, we need to gather, we need to make sure people are okay, we need to look after them. And I think that just seeing how people react to things, seeing how where their priorities lie actually helps to understand the way that we uh, interact as him and what our priorities are as well.
5: I think it allows us to be... Um more sort of authentic as well um because obviously um as Claire said um if we if we and our congregations each understand the APEX shape that we have then we are not trying to squeeze um round pegs into square holes um i can imagine they probably do wonders for sort of team dynamics and like team chemistry um part of my um, readings have, have, have been looking at how you can use the Enneagram um, in sort of like a um, Christian context and, and 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 how you have different personality types. And and so when someone sees a, cer- a certain situation and basically goes in obviously one way, you know, oh, well, that makes sense because they're that personality type. And I think in sort of the... Um, Church structure in the way that churches are mobilized, if we each are having that greater understanding, we'll probably make make a more um cohesive um church body, but probably a a considerably more effective one as well. Um I think you've and and to have, you know, obviously the ideal situation is to have all of the elements there, um, but to have people understanding that. Means that actually they can then take ownership of things, um, because they can essentially know, okay, so this is what God's got for me to do now, and I think they've there's more chance that they will buy into it that way, um, because it becomes more of their church and less of the leader's church.
1: I think we've got some good examples of where. The church have got this wrong as well. Uh, I know in some of Alan Hirsch's um, teachings about this, he talks about how many times the church has leaned too heavily on the the shepherd teacher, and we've kind of prioritized those too above all the others, and we've lost the apes. And that that joke is uh, is used quite often, which I, I always enjoy. But um, and actually, yeah, that sort of rediscovery of the apostles, prophets, and evangelists. Not, not that they're more important than the shepherd and the teacher, but actually that balance, that um, having representation across the board is really important for the church to actually grow. And otherwise, if we just focus on the shepherd teacher, we're going to become quite an insular, inward-looking uh church aren't we we're not going to have that missional element where we're we're going out, where we're pulled by the apostles in one way where we have the prophets challenging us in in our behavior and we have the evangelists able to communicate the gospel and tell those stories to the people that we encounter uh yeah that it's just it always struck me that i can see that in in some of like my own church experience where the shepherd and the teacher have been raised up above the others um and yeah i think it is important that, that we readdress that balance
3: because it's interesting, because if we look at the history of the Salvation Army, arguably at the start of the Salvation Army, it was probably there was more apes. And somehow over time, for whatever reason, for good or for bad, it perhaps has shaped more into that insular way in terms of the shepherd and teachers, as you said there, Ed.
2: Claire, I absolutely agree. I think we organised around religion. You we know, Movement in those formative days was chaos, wasn't it? It was our history, I think, even on the bite-sized platform. It speaks about 17 and 18, 19 year olds who just went and started Salvation Armies, you know, all over the place. Apes, if you like, most of them. And then we sort of organised around religion and structure and form and all of this stuff. And my question actually to the whole Salvation Army today is still the same. And what are we wanting the Salvation Army to be in 20, whatever we are now, do we want it just to be a a place where we are safe and secure? Or do we want to be people that are committed to reaching out those people beyond the walls of church who um, are very much the DNA of the gospel? So, Claire, I think you're right. How are we even training, let alone building team? I have to ask myself that question as well. Because I think, Ed, Ed, you said about team members highlighting your own strengths and weaknesses. Uh, You know, it's easier to do it yourself at one level, isn't it? Because you know what you're going to get. Whether it's right or wrong is irrelevant. You know, you could argue, couldn't you? Perhaps i shouldn't say that maybe that's wrong
5: i wonder perhaps if if we see the shepherds and teachers as being the safer pair of hands those that we can um quite happily just get on with it because the we know that they're not going to be too outrageous um and perhaps it is that it perhaps that it's the apes that almost scare us a little bit they're, they're far too wild and free and and, and 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 actually by their very nature they are very much the ones that are there to uproot stuff and um cause some holy chaos um and and i wonder obviously um as, as i've sort of been talking about how we've become more of a religious um fixed non-moving movement um whether the the apes have been, um, perhaps, um, put under a rock because as we thought that's the safest place for them. Um, I think it's the challenge to, 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 to look at, um, the, look at the, the people that we have within our movement and, and actually, um, those that are the apes will actually to let them go and do ape stuff. Cause we, I think, I think it, it because if, if we don't, I think we are running the risk of stifling growth and we we run the risk of, yeah, becoming a bit of a country club.
2: I mean, Luke, it's fascinating because we see a shepherd's crook. There's a view that the shepherd isn't the nice, safe person. He's not, you know, he's, he gets that crook and he's going to pull them out good and proper. Um and there's a view also that shepherds are often far from safe and secure Um, because they might use the crook in a nivel way to prod and poke. Um, I think you're right, though. Uh, you know, it's, I mean, I have to be honest, Ed, as you know, this is one of my passions, is the whole APES typology is about how do we actually together. I mean, this is a great thing. I have to say, even listening to the first three podcasts, you guys and people on this has been some stimulating stuff in our minds as we consider, wow, that's really good stuff. And uh, I'm, you know, if you look at what Claire read, that Ephesians piece, about maturity and unity, you know, actually, when we're all together, there's something beautiful that's created. Um, We complement, we we build better pictures. We do things better together, better together than on our own. So I think so much good stuff
4: available there. In recent years, the church has continued to decline in the West. There has been a lot of emphasis placed upon the need for us to once more discover the gifts which God has bestowed upon his people. But not only to discover them, but to release people to use them. There's been a culture that the vicar or the church leader, the paid professional, is responsible for all the work and services of the church. This can be referred to as the solo hero model. However, inherent in our tradition, is a belief that there is a role for us all to play. All believers play their part. This is the hero-maker model. Alan Hirsch in his book The Forgotten Way says the church needs to catalyse missional forms and movements. The church needs to discover, rediscover the apex gifts as central to this movement. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. In Jesus we see the fivefold forms embodied, and he then expresses them through the body of Christ as he gifts them to us. This whole bodied work called Apest is based in and around Ephesians 4, and he called some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds and teachers. When we, each of these gifts are not only acknowledged but encouraged to be used, then we see a far greater richer demonstration of the people of God as movement. God, in all his fullness, brings about unity from diversity and a greater maturity of the body is then experienced. I think it's right to say that uh, such a team dynamic is greater than the sum of its parts. In those formative pioneering years of the movement, everyone had a part to play. We need to recognize that this formative movement has increasingly, much, much like Uh, a lot of Christendom organised itself and in doing so lost much of the energy of the movement. Too often the organisation of churches disempowered believers by allowing the paid professionals to undertake the work of the church. There's also a sense that we have shaped and organised ourselves often around inward looking gifts, potentially the shepherd and the teacher, at the expense of the Apostle, the Prophet, and the Evangelist functions. No gift or role is greater than any other, and it is vital that they all work together as one. Jesus exhorted his believers to be one, as he is one. Forge, England, and Wales have described the essence of each of these fivefold gifts in the following ways. Apostle, that's your dream awakener. Prophet, the heart revealer the evangelist, they're the storyteller. The shepherd is the soul healer and the teacher is the light giver. You can easily picture the creativity and diversity that comes when you consider the people of God as dream awakeners, heart revealers, storytellers, soul healers and light givers. Such a beautiful picture of what can be. There is both and energy, and in excitement, and even more importantly, a growth dynamic that takes place when people are both engaged and empowered, rather than feeling controlled, and sensing that they have to have permission, or at worst, finding themselves cut to drift altogether from the wider body, because of difference.
3: One of the things that I struggle with as a church leader is the fact that I feel I have to be all things to all people, and know that I can't be all things to all people. Mm. And it's and it's difficult in terms of, and I don't know whether this is um, a model Salvation Army's grown over the time or become reliant on in terms of the, the Salvation Army officer or the professional is meant to, meant to be able to do a range of jobs that perhaps is wouldn't be expected in any other role. And I recognise that in terms of the whole APES thing, actually that's the perfect opportunity to engage with people, to recognise those gifts, those skills, those callings, and release people to do that but I think perhaps that in some uh, churches could take a whole culture shift in terms of uh, things that have been generationally passed on and passed on and passed on and it's what's the starting point for that how do you kind of begin to do that when it's something that's so ingrained within the movement or within the church
1: it's a huge challenge isn't it and I think I think, yeah, we've fallen prey to a few things in all of that. I think one of them we spoke about a few episodes ago was that problem of consumerism in the church. And in some ways it's easier if we rely on one person who's employed, employed, who's the paid professional to be all things to all people, even if then that disappoints us or inevitably disappoints us because no one can be all things to all people. Um, and, yeah, I, we spoke about in the discipleship episode how actually – like the, there is a cost to a discipleship, there is a cost to actually following Jesus and allowing that to be a priority in life, and um, it, it can be really hard to, uh, to I guess, stri- strike past the discipleship uh, towards consumerism that we've all been um, subject to in this day and age as well. Um, I think So that's one side of it. I guess you could say the other side is that the church hasn't been particularly good at freeing up and releasing people into these roles and giving them permission and giving them them the tools so that they can step out and understand who they are and what God has gifted them to give to the church. So I I can kind of see that there are a few different factors kind of feeding into this.
3: I'm just thinking within the context of the Salvation Army and the fact that, I mean, it's changed now more, but the fact that I would have been the commanding officer. And like in terms of in terms of that authoritative thing. We we talk about the priesthood of all believers, but actually it seems it perhaps some of our language in terms of even kind of jokey language in terms of being the boss or whatever that actually reinforces that in terms of it it lies with you rather than recognizing that actually this is their church, we move on.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a whole like paradigm shift needs to happen, doesn't it? Of like going back to those really basic disciple time where it was like you know all one level instead of it being that commanding officer kind of mindset of where you expect that person to do everything and almost putting that person on a pedestal which is a really dangerous thing Um, and I was sort of thinking around sort of like well how do we as a church help people to feel engaged and empowered rather than disengaged and controlled as sort of part of that. You had to repeat that question John? Yeah yeah How do we, as the church, help people to feel engaged and empowered, rather than disengaged and controlled?
2: I'd like to turn that question around, John, if I might, um, particularly to Sam and Luke and others on the call, because and Ed and yourselves, because myself and Claire are officers, and it's a really interesting one. Therefore, how how can we, as co-leaders, empower and release all of you to lead effectively? That then, myself and Claire not that we're better, but as officers, can kind of model a different way of living. Because I think it's really easy to say we have a command structure that says, you know, if you like the officers here, we lead. Uh, therefore, the inference straight away is that no one else does. And, and I think that's a real massive shift of thinking because as a leader, as an officer, there is nothing better than when you see all of you on the call tonight and others raising up and leading effectively because team is energizing and is beautiful and good. And so I think I would push back a little bit and say, well, come on, then. tell us how can we together lead more effectively as a, a priesthood of all believers, you know, Sam and Luke and Ed and John, you're all in roles that are critical to the kingdom of God. That's where you inhabit now.
5: It's not just to paid professional, is it? I think it's one of those things where I've certainly felt this for a couple of years, that that there's been this bubbling undercurrent of people that have been almost chomping at the bit to go and do stuff. And you've seen pockets of it springing up. Like my role as being a um, mission facilitator, probably a few years ago was probably a unthinkable position because you know it was the officer who was supposed to be the mission facilitator um so i think there is there has been baby steps to move it in the to 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 move it forward but there're still tons more that we can do um I, I sit with this a lot in terms of the professionalism of the clergy and where my head sits with this and it scrambles it most days if i'm being honest um, I think the consumerism thing has definitely got something to play w- in with it. Um, when I've ever had the chance of leading meetings, there's been nothing more frustrating than feeling like you're talking to a brick wall where they give you nothing back and it just feels like they're there to, to, to sponge it. They're there to simply, to, to simply soak it all in and then go. Oh, that was a nice meeting. And then that's it. There's nothing else that sort of comes from it. Um, and, I, and perhaps that is the consumerist um, approach where where we binge meetings like we do Netflix, and then we go and review the meetings and go. Well, um, that was a good sermon length. They had um, a nice response time, and we almost review things <laughs> because we get into that culture. It, it it's everywhere. And and like, you know, you have I, I know people that have moved churches because they don't like the minister, because oh, the minister's gone somewhere else, so I'm gonna go with them. And and the consumerist culture is something that is so hard to fight against because it is just so inherent into our society. Um but yeah, I think there is there's so much potential here in terms of um of what could happen, um, I'm encouraged by actually the age by actually the age coming um, session of cadets. Um, we we are quite a young session. Um, it's safe to say, and for me, that's an encouragement. Um, others might think it's not, but <laughs> I just I just think it's it's good, and I think there's there is this wave that is bubbling away and. Yeah, we need to tap into it because I think I sort of sit with this position of if, for whatever reason, the Salvation Army has a limited life cycle, i.e. it's only got so many years left, which I, which obviously I don't want it to have a limited life cycle, but say for argument's sake it did, I want to make – I'd love for, for the Army – to absolutely seize every single opportunity that it had available to it within the life cycle that it had. I I don't want to get to a position whereby, say, hypothetically, 30 years' time, the army folds for for, for whatever reason, and, and, and then we sit there going, oh, well, you know, I wish we'd done this or I wish we'd done that instead. I think we absolutely need to be jumping on things and not be the ones that get left behind. Um, because the church that gets left behind to me is going to be the church that ends up dying first. And I don't want that.
1: I think one of the key things that I think, looking at my own experience of where I've been empowered and released, that leaders have done really well, uh, yourself included, Andrew, is that when I've kind of been involved in things, I've actually been given um, permission to try stuff that might fail. Uh, I've been given help with bureaucracy and the with church politics, <laughs> because these are all the sort of things that trip trip people up when they say, "Oh, I've got this idea, I want to try it," and it's so easy when they say they come to someone and say, "This is my idea, I want to try it," where they say, "Well, you can't do that." You haven't got this risk assessment. You haven't got that safeguarding procedure. What team have you got? Whose DBSs need doing? All this stuff that, you know, just isn't in someone's head when they're feeling passionate about something that God's saying to them. And for me, my story is that I've had leadership around me that have said, you know what, we're going to help you with that stuff that you don't understand. We're going to try and you know, give you the tools, give you the, the resources to go and do what God's put on your heart. Um, but I'm aware that's not the story for everyone in our church. And um, I know that God is calling people. God is giving people sparks of imagination and vision and dreams. And um, it's, it's really the key holders that need to be um, listening to those dreams and visions and preparing, I guess, the way for them to follow what God's calling them to do. And that can look really boring, admittedly, if it's just about finance and safeguarding and risk assessments and stuff. And all that stuff is really important. Don't hear me wrong, because we absolutely need to make sure we have safeguarding in place. We need to make sure we've got risk assessments and finance. uh, We're looking after sensibly, but not everyone is equipped to handle all of that stuff. And I, I don't think everyone needs to be perhaps. So yeah, providing the support structures to release people into what God's calling them to do is a really huge thing.
6: I think uh, what you said there kind of resonates with me as well, because I think in the job that I'm doing under the leadership or of, I want to say my boss, but he is my boss, but you know what I mean? Under the leadership, I'll say his name, that's better. Under the leadership of Ian, um, with him kind of getting me to think about what i'm passionate about and understanding me as how i work and uh what sort of person i am has really empowered me to do more things and become more passionate and like you said having the ab- ability to fail every now and then and it's okay to do that we mm. just learn from it and keep going and um,
1: i think that's really powerful
6: mm.
1: so that you said there, actually just sparked something in my head I'm reading a book at the moment called Atlas of the Heart by Brené Brown and it's all about emotions and how we process emotions and one of the emotions she talks about in this book is curiosity and she says that um, curiosity is sparked by being given a little bit of information about something and just given that window into a world where you think wow there's more here I can sense it but actually there is that stage of learning at the start of curiosity. And looking back at when I arrived at Copper Beach, I didn't understand what mission was. I didn't understand any of that. But Caroline said, oh, read this. And she handed me a a book by Alan Roxburgh, which was about uh, mission. And um, I read it and I learned a little bit. But that was enough to spark a curiosity and to spark actually a passion from that. So I think sometimes communicating something and just giving people bits of information and not necessarily dumping loads of stuff on them, but just sharing a little bit of of information can st- start people on a journey of curiosity and of passion that leads them somewhere where actually God can do something amazing with that as well.
2: Claire, well, I don't know what you think, but I think this is just su- such good stuff to hear because uh, there is hope for the church in the future. If if people can experience the adventure of faith and the feeling like we're all doing this together. And I think, Ed, if I might suggest, you know, it's the old hand now a little bit, um, maybe that some of us around, you know, have been doing some of this stuff for years, our, our purpose in life, our role, the reason we exist in life and ministry is to make sure that we can make it easier in some ways by you know, like Sam was saying, of his own leader, boss, whatever he wants to call in today and tomorrow. But the reality is, I think if we all talk about APEX typology, we'll nearly always come back to people of influence over our lives. And I wonder if when you put influence and passion together, you start to see something of who you are as well. So if you think about the influence, of shape. So Ed, you spoke about Caroline there, didn't you? Mm. And her influence it starts to shape who you are. It engages with your own passion you put your spiritual gift alongside that and why do you get out in bed in the mornings because wow i'm doing the thing that i love in the place that i love in the gifts i love and when you put that in the apes topology you actually see it working really well i mean we've been very blessed over 30 years of ministry to have loads of people work around us in team and i, I have to say i love being in team. Whether the team loves being with me is a totally different matter, to be quite frank. Uh, I mean, let's be honest, do the head in most days a week. But what I think is really interesting is when you get influence and passion together with the spirit's giftedness, you will see energised leaders. And I think, Claire, coming back to something earlier, you said, For me, the challenge then is where do we place leadership and how do we marry that up with who we are and profiles and gift shape and all of that stuff. So imagine if we did it with all of our church fellowships, they all knew what the spiritual gift was. And then imagine if we released them all to serve through that spiritual gift. I think we might see more of a movement than an
4: organization. In my own story of pioneering, I've had the privilege alongside my wife to pioneer new expressions of the Salvation Army uh, in Wales and in the centre of Glasgow. Now I am an apostle evangelist, that's my driver, but I've come to recognise more and more that we need one pioneer in all five elements of APES to be present, active and released so that we can uh, grow and pioneer in a bold and dynamic ways. Currently, our appointment is one where we're at an established core, but the pioneering still exists. And for us, we've been able to embed and teach and train on APEST at a local setting. That tra- training has gone across our division as we support others in exploring this gift of APEST to the church. For us, it means that our leadership team is now formed around the gifts of APEST. We have a balanced profile across our leadership team it means that when we meet we hear from the prophet we hear from the evangelist we hear from the shepherd the teacher and from people like myself the apostle all five are present all five are given a voice and this has been so encouraging as we've seen people involve themselves and release into ministry to have their voice heard and to see the core start to grow in our maturity. As we unify ourselves around our faith in God and we celebrate the diversity that exists within us for the good of God's kingdom and the maturity and growth of our local setting, the church here where we minister.
0: The different perspectives and spiritual awareness of each of the APES gift shapes help us to see how the whole movement of God's people is a much more creative space to explore the things of God. The pioneer lens may more often than not have an APE or ape shape, but in the same way, we need to be releasing the shepherds and teachers within our pioneering contexts. One thing is certain that the breadth of spiritual gifts, pest cannot be ignored if we want to grow. If we pursue only some of what God has given us, the picture will be incomplete. There will be significant pieces missing from the jigsaw of mission and ministry,
1: where there will not only be a void, but mission will be far less effective. So that is all we have time for on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. We've recorded this on the hottest day of the year so far, so I hope that we don't sound as disheveled as we're all looking at this moment. Uh, But, yeah, we really appreciate you being here and um, listening uh well there are a few places that we can carry on this conversation we'd love to point you towards one is the pioneer which is the platform that we're working through on this series and there are some great spaces for discussion there there are some great spaces to share your thoughts in um th- throughout the course and we'd love for you to do that uh, we also have two listener groups one is the essay pioneering podcast group on facebook and the other is the SSOM listener group on Facebook, and we'd love to meet you in those spaces and carry on the conversation there. Uh, Sam, you are involved in a podcast as well, and that'd be good to hear about. <laughs> yes,
6: uh, I'm involved with a podcast called "Stay Art." Time to pause, where we take time out of our day in the midst of our busy lives to pause catch our breath and draw near to God it's about each episode every weekday is about 10 to 12 minutes varying on how long we talk for um with a time to pause and reflect on what God is saying to us in that time
1: excellent thank you Sam and uh, there is another podcast that i'd like to point you towards which actually is a previous episode of the some sort of miracle podcast if you've enjoyed this discussion of apest and you'd like to hear some more discussion around it uh, we've actually done another episode on it where we go into a little bit more detail about each of the different um, profiles each of the different giftings within the apest model and yeah we'd uh, love for you to give that a listen to and that's episode 46 and it's titled what on earth is apest Uh, because that was certainly my reaction when i first heard about it uh yeah our next episode is in two weeks time and we're going to be looking at organic systems so we hope to see you there bye